Well, let's give our choir great thanks this morning. Thank you, choir. It's fantastic. Well, some of you got the memo to move up. Others of you, not so much. But that's okay. You'll have time to come forward later. Um, if you are new here, we want to welcome you here this morning. As we do every week, we talk about who we are as a church. Uh, one of the things that we find so interesting is that often in Scripture, we see people who, who are hopeless. Uh, it tells us in, in the Old Testament that there are the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor who are, who are constantly around us. And, and God asked this community of people to then leave. He asked the farmers of the day to leave the edges of their field for these people who are in desperate need of hope. And so if you've come to this church and you are in desperate need of hope, we are learning as a church what it means to be a community that offers hope. And one of the, there are four distinct ways in which we do that. And the first is that we will seek God with everything that we have. We believe that whatever you seek will become the center of who you, who you are. And so we believe in a God that has pursued you with everything that he has. And we are called to relentlessly pursue him with the same intensity. And as we build that relationship with God, as we begin to seek him, there is, there is a response that comes out of that where we begin to invest in other people. So we seek, we invest in other people, our gifts, our times, our talents, and yes, even our money. And we believe that as we begin to invest those things into other people and into our church, that there's a restoration that begins to happen. That people are restored into the image of God and the way that they were designed and created to be in life. And then our goal is not that you would come here Sunday and experience this amazing new life, but that you would be sent into the world to show the world what hope looks like. So we seek, we invest, we restore, and we stand here at this church. Welcome to Joliet First. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We are closing our final series. This is the final installment of our series, Why Do We? Over the last five weeks, we have talked about new practices that we have introduced to this church. Now, they're not new to the church overall, but they are new to us because we're kind of what we call low church, where we don't do a lot of tradition and liturgy. Uh, that's what we call high church. But those practices are, are, are kind of becoming who we are. And so we've instituted things like Reading from the lectionary. We preach from the lectionary. We've, we say the Apostles' Creed weekly. We, we, we also recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, one week we talked about why do we read so much Scripture? Why do we share in the story of God's Scripture? And this week, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly? You see, we believe here at this church that, that what we do here shapes you. That, that we are building a framework for how you live life, not only here, but outside in the world in which most of us live. And so these practices ground us. And we believe here that you cannot live in existence as a Christian apart from the church. And the church will never exist apart from you. And so we believe that there's this relationship that happens. There's this glue. There's this framework that allows you, that molds you and shapes you. These practices teach us what it looks like to live like Christ in a world. It looks nothing like him. So I'm excited about today. I feel like God has prepared an amazing message. Not me, but, but God himself working through me this week has taught me so much about this important meal that we are about to talk about this morning. So if you would turn with me to Luke 24. 
Luke 24. Uh, you know, it is a long passage today, but I don't really care. I want you to stand. Luke 24. If you can stand, stand with us. If you cannot stand in your hearts, that's, that's really what matters. Luke 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were, were going into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. These two folks were talking uh, with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, uh, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood, they stood still, their faces downcast to the ground. One of them named Cleopas asked, Are you the one visiting Jerusalem who, who does not know the things that have happened over these last days? Uh, what things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> That's so fun, funny moment there. We're supposed to laugh. Ha ha ha. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priest, and I love this, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is that it is the third day since this took place. In other words, he had to be all the way dead because three days have passed. In addition, some of our, our women were amazed. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they haven't seen Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, this must have been a long walk. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he exclaimed to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going to keep walking. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's, it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Now, here's the important part. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And quickly he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us? Why he talked with us on the road about the importance of these scriptures that have been said to us. They got up and they returned once to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were assembled with them together and they said, It is true! The Lord Jesus Christ has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, the two uh, told what had happened on the way and Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Isn't human life amazing? Aren't the intricacies and the connectedness of the mind and the body and the soul so interesting? I mean, there are times in my life where I realize that, that something, something inside of me is not right. There is something that is just a bit off. Now, my wife tells me that I am overly sensitive to the veiled voice inside of me. But I think many of us, 
are too insensitive to the voice inside of you screaming for help. Here's what I mean. Over the next week, Janelle and I will, will be taking a retreat. And some of you have said, oh, you're taking a vacation. And I said, no, we're taking a retreat. You see, this is a time where we become spiritually centered. There's, there's something inside of me over, it's usually about every quarter or so, where I, I get this angst inside of me. I get this restlessness inside of me where, where I become impatient with people. That I respond in a way that I shouldn't respond. That there is no longer an empathy with people who are desperately in need of empathy. And I know it's that in those moments when I begin to talk to people that way, and I begin to experience and see people in that way, that it is time for rest. It is time for retreat. It is time for renewal. It is time to be spiritually centered on the God who gives us life. I've recognized over the last few years that, that there are these moments where I am not properly centered, that I respond wrongly to the people around me. You see, I don't, I don't think this unnerving notion of this off-kilter existence is something we deal with every six months. You see, I think that we deal with this unbalanced daily. And see, each of us does something every day that centers us. That if we don't do it, our life for the day will be off just a bit. Some of us have to find ourselves next to a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, let me just give you a hint. Uh, the reason why some of you are having bad days is because you're drinking Folgers or Maxwell House. <laughs> but some of us find our life centered on this moment where, we're, where we drink a cup of coffee. For some of us, it is this time where we, where we sit next to a fire. Or maybe some of us where we sit in front of a novel or a book. Or for others of us, it's a Mountain Dew or a Diet Coke. For some of you, it's, it's yoga. For some of you, it's listening to great music. For others of you, it's singing in the shower. Regardless of how bad you sound. <laughs> uh, but there are these moments every day that you participate in something in your life that gets you off to a great start. That if you don't do this, your life will not be the same. Am I, am I making sense this morning? Some of you know what we're talking about. I think, I think there's this movement that's happening within the low church, the evangelical church. You see, we are, we are deeply searching for what centers us. But we have an unnerving notion inside of us that something is not right. Here's what I mean. It's funny. Debbie and I were talking the other other day. Debbie is our administrator. She uh, she works full time here on on part time pay, and um, she's amazing. Uh, she also has multiple jobs outside of the church, and finds time to go to school full time to get her master's. I don't know how she does it. Poor Jim. But what she was talking about her ceramics class, and she was she was describing to me that that. That she's working with clay. She's forming this statue. And her greatest problem in ceramics class is that, that the outer edges of the statue that she's creating dry too quickly. 
And so what happens, some of you who are art majors know this, that, that if it dries too quickly, you'll get brittle edges on the edge of the statue or the cup or whatever you're making to the point where you can no longer form and shape the cup into what you need it to be. And she was describing that while the edges become brittle, the center is extremely soft. And so what you get is, is this statue that is so stiff on the outside but is crumbling in the center. And, and I have to be honest, this, this conversation reminded me of a pastor who said this, who said this, he said, you know, the church has really been defined by brittle edges and a soft core. And what he was trying to say is that there is a world around us, there is a culture around us that scares us. And what happens is the church has become so fearful of things like homosexuality. We become so fearful of things like immigration. We become fearful of, of other religious organizations. That we've, we've, we thought the best thing that we can do for the church is create these rigid rules and these brittle edges to keep people out. Meanwhile, the, the deepest seated fear inside of us is that our center is soft. That at the core of who we are as God's people, our center is so soft. He goes on to say this. He says, the church needs to have soft edges and a firm foundation. Soft edges. Where we allow people to enter into conversation with us. Where we don't have to be fearful of those things because we are centered upon something. And at the end of this, he said, it is the Eucharist. It is the communion table. It is Christ himself. It is the Lord's Supper. It is the table that is set before us that centers us. It is the sacrament of Jesus Christ that centers who we are. And what I've found so funny is that What is, what is meant to be an, a non-exclusive table and is meant to be a, an inclusive table of grace has somehow only been celebrated once a quarter. You know, our manual, we have a manual, these bylaws, uh, really boring, but we have to use it, um, tells us that we must celebrate the supper at least, at minimum, once a quarter. And so here's the language that you begin to hear from pastors. Oh, well, we, we haven't done it in a while. We probably should do it. Well, the quarter's here. Time to put the Lord's Supper together. And then we have people in the church who will say, oh, we're doing it too much. We're doing it too often. It's going to lose its meaning and its purpose. Now, here's my thought about that. You can disagree, disagree with me. It's okay to be wrong. I think this, that, that the less we do it, the more we dilute it. You see, that's kind of counter to what we've been taught. That the less we do it, the more we, we dilute it. And see, over, the, over time, the thing that was meant to center us upon a grace-filled experience has simply become an insipid exchange. And so I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, one of the new practices that we are experiencing in this church is that we will be a people that is centered weekly upon the table of Jesus Christ. 
every week we come here. Because I believe that the more we do it, the more power is received. And some of you are asking, why do we do it then? Those are great questions. And so you're, I'm just just so glad you're so studious today. You're asking all these great questions. Uh, For those of you leading groups, it would be, it would behoove you to take notes. Uh, If you're out here today, I would just take notes, period. I think it's hard to learn if you're not taking notes, but. What I find odd this morning in Luke, let's go back to this story of people walking on a road this morning. What I find so interesting this morning is that these two folks walking on the road miss the presence of Jesus. Completely miss the presence of Jesus. Notice the posture that they take when in conversation with Jesus. Faces downcast. I got to give it to them. Their Messiah just died. He was crucified. Their feelings were hurt. But now it's like face down. I'm walking back home. It's just another ordinary life again. It's just another walk down a dusty road. Just another sunset in front of me. It's just another night at the house. It's just another meal. Just another time to go to sleep. And what I find so interesting is they sit down with Jesus who takes just a loaf of bread and just a cup of wine and he takes something that is so common in life and makes it this exquisite piece that opens people's eyes to who he is. He takes the common and makes it uncommon in our life. I, I wish you could have heard the conversation that was happening. Two little kids are sitting here, and one says, it's grape juice. And I, I hear the other one say, no, it's, it's the blood. No, 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 it's only grape juice. No, 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 I'm sure, I'm positive it's blood. And see, what happens is, Jesus takes the ordinary of the life, and he makes it holy. That he takes the everyday, and he makes it sacred. That there was a sanctification of the domestic that happens. And see, if I could mimic you and I could mimic myself, here's what life looks like for us. We look just like the two people on the road to Emmaus. Oh, just another day. We look like Eeyore. It's just another job. Just another day to watch my kids. Just another time to make another meal. Just another time to mow the grass. Just another conversation with my neighbor. It's just, it's just, it's just. You see, and while, while, while Jesus takes the stuff of the earth and he makes it sacred, he wants to take the stuff of your hands and make it holy. And here's what I mean by that. You see, sitting by a cup of coffee in the morning and thinking about the deep questions of life is a sacred act. When we are doing our best work in a less than desirable environment, work environment, that is a sacred act. When we are patiently loving our kids as Christ is patient and loving with us, this is a sacred moment in life. And it is the ordinary daily things, it is our daily existence that becomes holy. 
and our lives. We come to this table. As we begin to eat, we begin to realize that our lives are transformed by this blood and by this body in such a way that everything we touch is a holy moment. So, that's the first reason. I realize that I'm not that old. Some of you remind me that every day. Thank you, by the way, because there are teenagers that think I'm old. But what I find so interesting is life is how the past finds its way into the future. Let me give you an example. Fashion is a perfect example. So often the past finds its way into the future. You see, things that you used to wear in the past are things that your kids and grandkids are now wearing. You see, a decade and a half ago when I went to college, uh, which is not that long ago, but we, we did this thing with our jeans where we looked would cut both sides of the jeans so they would kind of flare out and they would resemble, they would cover your shoe and resemble what we would get like a bell bottom. So somehow the 60s and 70s made it into the 90s and early 2000s. And now I don't know if you noticed, but skinny jeans are the thing. I'm, I'm kind of wearing semi-skinny jeans. They say skinny on them, but I, they're baggy enough for me, I suppose. Maybe too skinny for you. But where do these skinny jeans come from? Some of you can remember back to the late 80s and early 90s when, when we would peg our pants. Do you remember this? That we would fold over the front and then roll it up. And you would get like this really nice tight leg on, on, around your calf. Some of you are shaking your heads. You remember this. Now, if you would have told me that 80s attire and fashion would have made it into 2016, I would have laughed because the only thing great about the 80s was the music. Yeah, you know it. I wear my sunglasses. Anyway. Um, <laughs> now get the irony of this. These two folks are sitting at the table with Jesus. And their eyes are opened the moment that he breaks the bread. Now what's interesting is, is scholars believe that Jesus is not sitting down doing what he did with the dis- disciples. But rather this is an ordinary meal. And it is the moment when he breaks the bread, their eyes begin to see who Jesus is right in front of them. And there are scholars who believe this, that that these were actual followers of Jesus who found themselves not only following him, but present when Jesus fed the 5,000. 5,000 men, not including women and children. So who knows, there could have been 10, 13, 12, you know, I don't know, 15,000 people there. But these were two people that had been present in in that moment. That it was this past moment that had been so ingrained in their minds that there is now this future moment where they begin to realize, oh my lands, this is what happened in the past. This is who Jesus was. And it is now the past that shapes the future moment where we begin to recognize Jesus in the future. So, so hang with me here for a minute because I truly believe that what the tape does for us is this kind of the back to the future kind of meal. It's this back to the future kind of meal. What I mean by that is we reach back into history where we see Jesus and the early church breaking bread with each other. And it somehow becomes a foretaste of what the future is supposed to look like. We get in Revelations 19.9 that there is this feast that has been prepared for each of us. And so you're asking because you're such inquisitive people today. What does the feast of the future look like? Good question. 
You see, I think the table is the taste of bread and wine. And it is for all people who are awaiting the abundance of the kingdom. You see, we have been so shaped by a culture that hoards and consumes everything. That we leave people in third world countries and even in our own communities without. That we have, we have people who are, who are going hungry every night. There are people who are poverty stricken and sleeping on the streets. And we have this abundance in our own life and we're so unwilling to share it. But the future meal that God talks about that we see in the past in the feeding of the 5,000 is that everything will be distributed equally among God's people. And that everyone is invited and everybody will be made whole and nobody will go without. This is a foretaste of God's justice. It is a foretaste of God's love and his mercy in our lives. That's why we also celebrate the meal weekly. It is a foretaste of God's future justice and love. I better hurry. So we've talked about why we do this as a time of of making the ordinary exquisite. It is a time where we reach back into the past and eat the meal as a recognition of God's future. But we have to understand that the past and the future deeply shape the present. You see, this meal that we are about to partake in here in a few minutes is what life ought to be for us. You see, this is a feast that is fit for a community of people. You see, you were never meant to live a life in isolation. God's design for human flourishing cannot be satisfied in isolation. Let me say that again because some of us feel so isolated today. The reason, the good question I got last week is, Pastor, you say every week we need to be at church. Why is it? Here's why. It was a really good question, by the way. I, I couldn't have, didn't have a good answer. God's design for human flourishing cannot be satisfied in isolation. You see, we as God's believers are witnesses, witnesses and images of of new creation and what God wants to do for the world. And so it is the moments when we come together in this church where we invest in each other, where we seek together. That we are restored into the image of God. And we become together as a body of people. And in some sense, we, we, become, we become the opposite of what the world tells us we should be. These individualized people who lead separate lives from everybody else. Hurry, get home, and close your garage door before your neighbor sees that you pulled up. Paul, Paul gives us this beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to read it. But essentially it is this, is that every member contributes to this community. That we can't do it without Jeannie. We can't do it without Larry Jr. We can't do it without the Scoins. We all have a part. But Paul writes to the Corinthians because he realizes they have major problems. You see, if, if we had a Las Vegas in the first century, just go to Corinth. I mean, it was crazy. Not that I was there, just what I've been told. Um, but Paul gets this. That even in, in, in a body that's called to be united, there are still these moments of broken relationship. 
There are still these moments where you and I will disagree. There are still these moments where, where let's just be frank, we, we really don't represent Christ. We're representing ourselves and our own wants. What one philosopher said, he said this, my kid asked me, Dad, why do we go to church? And he said, so we can learn to love people that we really don't like. <laughs> so we can learn to love people that we really don't like. Paul got this when he wrote to the Corinthians about you have to be united and do this together. That, that part of coming to church, part of being faithful to a community is being faithful to a body even when you don't feel like it. Even when you feel like walking out. Even when you feel like you're so disgusted with somebody you never want to see him again. That you're just going to go somewhere else. Paul and Christ are calling us to a, a body that is united regardless of how we feel. Because this is what centers us in life right here. Jesus Christ. That my feelings, my feelings do not determine my presence. That it is his presence that determines our presence. And so we are called, this table calls us to be reconciled to one another. That as we come and eat, not only are we reconciled vertically, but we also must be reconciled laterally to our neighbor in love. You see, we, we often say this here, that, that our connection to Christ is only as deep as our connection to others in Christ. And I truly, truly believe that. So part of this meal is about forgiveness and reconciliation. So here's what I want you to know today. Here's what I want you to know. Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week now? Here's what I want you to know. Write this down. We become. We become what we eat from. We become what we eat from. Now now look to your neighbor on your right. And say this, you are, come on now, wake up, this is important. Look to your neighbor, to your left and your right, and say, you are what you eat. Look to the neighbor to your left and say, you are what you eat. You're not, you're going to get this in a minute. Look at me. We are what we eat. You see, Our good Father in heaven, the shepherd it tells us in the Psalms, has prepared us a table in the presence of our enemies. And the reality is, is some of us have allowed the wrong enemy to sit at the table. You see, there are some of us today who think we are dining with the shepherd, but we are dining with disguised as the shepherd. And here's why I say it's so important that you are, hear me now, you are what you eat because when he comes in sheep's clothing, he sits down with you and he begins to eat your food and he begins to talk with you with a mouthful open and he says, you are not going to make it. You are not holy You are not good enough. You are not going to make it in this life. You are not liked by people. 
and these words, you are disguised as our Father, begins to work their way into our minds. And I want you to understand this morning that why we gather around this table is when we gather, we, we come before Christ and he says, you are my child. You are loved. You have a purpose in life. You are meant to live with meaning. This is who you are in life. And so I say this, that you are what you eat. We become what we eat from as a reminder that we are not what he tells us, what the devil tells us that we are, what the world tells us that we are. But we are, we are this. That we are, we are, we are, we are born of a God who has sent his son to redeem your life and make it new. That we are born from a God who takes all of our problems and all of our issues and puts it to the grave. And then he comes back to life and he says, no more will life be lived like this. That's who you are this morning. Amen. Somebody get excited. You know, I'll be honest. I wish we had a little more spirit and soul and even color in our church. We, you know, we just, we just kind of, we're pretty crusty and white and pale sometimes. And it's really hard to preach to y'all sometimes, you know. I'm excited and motivated about this message, and it's just so... Yes, there we go. Thank you. So this morning, I want us to understand that each of you are invited to the table. That it is when we come to this table, you are God's child. For those of you serving communion, would you please come forward this morning? We're going to do something a bit different today. Is that all right? Is that cool? I'm going to really, I'm going to really make you uncomfortable. You guys can go ahead. Ty, I want you to know that you are invited to God's table. Go ahead. Bill, you are invited to God's table. Now, if I forget your name, I apologize. But you just tell me so I can tell you. Teresa, Gage, and Faith, you're invited today. You're invited. These two beautiful women who are such a rambunctious. Lillian, Rita, you guys are invited to eat this morning. Krista, you're invited. Take a knee. Chris, you're invited. George, you're invited. Justin, go eat.
feet from the table, my friend. Bill, the most handsome guy I've ever met in my life. You're invited to the table this morning. Bill and Shirley Peters, you are invited to the table this morning. Go and eat this morning. Becca, you're invited. Kathy, please go eat. Sandy and Sheila, you guys are invited this morning. Go eat. Pastor Mike, you're invited to the table, my friend. Regina, go eat. Larry and Kevin, go join. Go join your Savior at the table this morning. Larry and Sandy, you guys are invited this morning. Go and eat. Ariana, it's so good to see you this morning. David, the most intelligent man in this church, you're invited today. (laughs) Val and Haley, you guys are invited. Karen and Glenn, even you, my friend, everyone. Well, you can eat some more. You're invited this morning. Amanda, you're invited to the table. Diana, you're invited to the table this morning. Jim and Sunshine, you guys are welcome. Rosemary, you're invited to the table this morning. Linda, you're invited, young lady. Bob? You're invited to the table, my friend. Al, you're invited as well. Oh boy. It's the rowdy bunch back here. You guys are invited this morning. Hey boy. Oh, Maria. It's good to see you this morning. You're invited. Juan, you're invited. Woody. I forgot my wife. How did I do that? (laughs) 
This morning, I hope that you realize that this meal is so important. That we don't do it just because, but we do it because we believe it changes lives. So let me pray this morning for us. And if we'll come and lead us in our final prayer, Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks that you are God who asks everybody, even me, yes, you. Lord, we, we serve an amazing God that, that has hope for all people, even in the midst of, of feeling isolated and hurt and broken. So, Lord, we, we ask that as, as we receive the body, as we receive your blood poured out for us, we feel whole. It is a means of your grace this day. May it change us to, to see everything ordinary as sacred. May it help us see that this is a foretaste of what your future looks like, where everybody will receive and have an abundance. And most of all, will it shape us as your community, a community that is geared and united to carry out your mission. It is through your table that we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. It has been a very special day that we've had together. Um, if, if you would all stand, if you're able, and, and let us read this prayer together as our time of closing. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us we pray as you will and always to your glory and the welfare of your kingdom through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you rest in this promise and hope, I pray for you that you would walk in peace, focus on hope, and spread the love. Have a great week.